Welcome, friends. It's Catherine Sidman, Sidco Cat, and this is my podcast. As a cannabis industry professional for about the last decade, I have unique access to the experts, entrepreneurs, and enthusiasts who make this industry great. Join me and my guests as we dive into the people, processes, and products that make up this wild ecosystem of cannabis, psychedelics, and emerging medicines. Cannabis businesses have all of the challenges of every other company with a multiplier of no banking, increased regulation, and artificial market segmentation. At its heart, packaging is a way to have a conversation with your customer when you aren't even in the room. It's how you tell your story and get attention. It's how you communicate your brand and your offering. In cannabis, it's also a billboard for the myriad of regulatory verbiage that needs to be included on the packaging. Enter Elizabeth Corbett from AE Global. I had the awesome privilege of moderating a panel with Beth and some other colleagues at the Canadelic Conference in Miami, Florida. We had a great conversation, and this chat was more of the same. Beth understands the industry and the important role she can play as a supplier of quality packaging. As Vice President of Sales for AE Global, she specializes in being a resource for her customers as they navigate the complicated world of packaging cannabis products. Listen in as we discuss the beauty, utility, and complexity of cannabis packaging. Do you have a favorite or novel package from a brand you trust? Send me a picture of beautiful and innovative packaging, and let's give props to the companies wrapping the cannabis products we all know and love. Um, Beth Corbett, you and I met in Miami on a panel, and um, you were just, you've been in the industry for a while. And you were so interesting, and I have a huge fascination with packaging, so you were very kind to um, hop on the show. Would you introduce yourself, and we'll just get right into it. Sure. My name is Beth Corbett. I'm the VP of Sales for a company called AE Global, headquartered in Miami. I live part-time in Miami and part-time in Seattle because I decided to find the farthest way you could be and still be in the domestic United States. (laughs) Um, Uh, Seriously, that just evolved. Nobody does that on purpose. Um, I've been in the cannabis industry for over eight years um, in packaging for more than 20. And I fell into cannabis packaging because I specialized in packaging for industries such as health and beauty, retail, uh, cosmetics. I've done work for companies like Tiffany, Starbucks, uh, Samsung, um, Estee Lauder. And a lot of my health and beauty guys were going into cannabis about nine years ago. And I thought to myself, well, that looks interesting. And I'm um, from the Pacific Northwest and cannabis had just been legalized recreationally in Washington. So the timing was right. Yeah. Um, I am fascinated by packaging. I And it's terrible. It's like an addiction. I keep it everywhere. Like I have on my desk when I see pretty packaging that I like. I'm showing this to you right now. I keep the wrappers Okay, what sort of crazy bitch keeps the wrappers <laughs> from her cannabis products? It's it is it's a problem in my life, Beth. It's a problem in my life. But I'm fascinated about it for a couple of reasons. And I think it's interesting that you brought up cosmetics, skincare, and nutrition, because packaging is 
I mean, that is our way of communicating with the customer. That's what's going to draw their eye. It tells the story of our brand. And we need all this real estate for the regulatory information. Like there's so much involved in packaging. Um, talk to me about how how you got into it and what's interesting about it to you. Is it the graphic design aspect? Is it the marketing? Is it the production? Is it the, I mean, there's, there's so much with it. You pick where we're going to start. Um, I think there's a lot of different things. I fell into packaging over 20 years ago um, from the paper side of the business. And there were a number of reasons. One, I just think that it has the potential for beauty, right? Just um, mm -hmm. purely on the beauty side. You mentioned um, packaging that we keep. I like to say that every time I've moved, I feel really bad about throwing away the Apple boxes right? Because you have every box from every Apple device that you've ever bought. I mean, whether it's your watch or your earbuds or your laptop or your iPad, yeah. seriously, you're just, you feel bad. You just, I was like, how can I throw away something that's that nice? Can we, can um, we put a pin in that right there? I remember opening yeah. up my first Apple device and it was probably, gosh, I don't know, almost 20 years ago now. And it was just a little iPod shuffle. And I remember like, the presentation of it was so cool, so minimal, so different. The vellum, it had a feel to the packaging that was novel to me. It was elegant the way it was like, not just with headphones, just tangled up and shit in there. It was like all nicely wrapped under the little barrier, you know, where that you pull up. Like there's something to their experience. That was a very mindful consideration. Like this is going to look different when you take it home and open it. It's going to feel different. And they were really a game changer in the industry. I can tell you, I have been at meetings with very, very large um, telecommunications companies, electronics companies, software companies, cannabis companies who will say, I, I want to be like Apple, mm -hmm. right? I want mm -hmm. my packaging to be like Apple. It, it really, um, they were truly a game changer in the industry and other, other than, uh, you know, the other company that I can think of that I've done work with that has the same uh, cachet, if you will, is everybody keeps their Tiffany blue box. Mm, who gets something mm -hmm. from Tiffany and throws that away, right? I mean, who gets um, something from Tiffany? I think like, I need to aspire to that. <laughs> <laughs> but ser seriously, but the blue box, the little blue box and the white bow, it's transcendent, right? Mm -hmm, everybody mm -hmm. wants to keep that. So I think that um, th those are companies in the industry that really set themselves apart through their packaging. I think one of the other reasons that I became interested in packaging is once you start learning about it, just from a numbers perspective, how much it drives the initial sale and how much it impacts how satisfied somebody is with the product. One of the most amazing statistics I ever read was that 70% of wine is purchased the first time solely based on the label, right? Mm -hmm. Now, if they love the wine, then they, then they'll, they'll buy it again. But think about it. I'll, there's plenty of times I've been in a, in a store and I'm like, oh, that's kind of interesting. It gets you to pick it up. If you pick it up, you're 50% more likely to buy it. So it's really, you know, driving that, um, that experience. But the one that blew my mind is that if people like the label, if they like the package, if they like the shape of the bottle, they're more likely to um, give it a good rating to say, oh, I really enjoyed that. And I think that that's true for you know, a lot of different things. I think that if you 
if you purchase something um, direct to consumer e-commerce, which is, I mean, a lot of our lives right now, right? I'll be the first one to say that when you get something and you really love the way it comes in the bo- in the box, maybe your total unboxing experience, how it's packaged in the box, the overall packaging, you're really going to think about that. One of my favorite um, unboxing experiences ever, and my husband hates the fact that I share this, is um, he wears something called meundies.com. Uh-huh. Um, and it's men's underwear. And when you buy a dozen from them, it comes in this great um, corrugated, you know, printed shipper. And when you open it up, it's all printed on the inside. And it says um, it has one set of your brand new underwear right on top of a kind of like a little shelf. And it says, wait. And it says, you know, try this on first, make sure you like them. And then if you like them, then, you know, lift this up and then here are the rest of your, of your dozen. But it's just, it's a fun, interactive experience for men's underwear, for God's sakes. Okay. Right? And what is the, and, and think about it in any other part of our life, Beth. I mean, if I gave you um, um, an iPad that was something, even if it was brand new, if I went and bought it and I had it and I'm like, Beth, I want to give you a brand new iPad. And I just handed it to you with the cord kind of Velcroed together on top and an instruction booklet and just handed it to you, not in the box. I don't think you're going to value that the same way you would have had you gotten it in the nice package with everything all in its own little compartment and ready. And, and the aesthetic, you know, presentation is everything. Why do we go to a fine dining restaurant? Yes, the food tastes delicious, but it also looks like art. It also looks phenomenal. Somebody took the time to plate it in a way that communicates a message to me. And that intentionality throughout the process does make our buying decisions. And so it now does. I think, no, you go, go ahead. You, well, I was going to say you had, you had asked, I think the other thing that's really important, um, because we talked a little bit about cosmetics and, uh, versus, uh, cannabis. I think the, um, the other thing that I love about the cannabis industry in particular is, um, it is a challenging industry from a couple of different perspectives. One is, can you think of another industry other than cosmetics that has so many different products and mm-hmm. how to package mm-hmm. them, right? You've mm-hmm. got everything from flour to pre-rolls to vapes to cartridges to gummies to chocolate to capsules. I mean, um, to cream, to you know, to topicals, to oils, right. yeah. to cosmetics. And so that is um, one of the best things about the industry, right? Is that you have you have just so many different things that you have to try to find a way to build the right package. You have to make it look like it all came from the same company, right? That's a challenge. I mean, I give mm-hmm. Estee Lauder mm-hmm. a ton of credit. You know, you look at anything from, let's say the Estee Lauder brand or the Origins brand, you can tell everything in that lineup is all Origins, even though it's all different kinds of products. Mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. the other thing is the challenge that comes along with the industry that's that not so fun, but it's not boring. And that would be the fact that every state has its own regulations. So trying to figure those all out, figuring out how do I build a package where there's still enough room for all the legislation that has to go on there? How do I make sure that I'm using the right kind of package from a child resistant perspective? Um, Those are, those are all considerations. And I think that an industry, (coughs) excuse me, is a lot more fun if it's challenging than if it's super easy and boring. Well, then cannabis is the most fun industry. If that's our, if that's our metric, (laughs) cannabis is the most fun because it's the most challenging. And I mean, let's talk about it. When we talk about packaging and cannabis, 
oof, there's so much there. And on the levels of frustration side is that the amount of real estate on a piece of packaging for something relatively small, let's say like a pre-roll, the amount of packaging real estate required just to communicate the regulatory information, not even your message, not even your branding, your message, your what do you want the consumer to know? Because you might want the consumer to know all about this amazing terpene profile or all about your growing practices or all about your laboratory practices or all of this. Sustainability. It's hard. Well, you're going to need an extra plastic insert to talk about your sustainability. Um, (laughs) But uh, there's not a lot of room left for that after you have all of the state specific regulatory information that might not even include things that are important, like a terpene profile or minor cannabinoids or processing growing practices or whatever. Do you, do customers come to you already knowing what they're required to put on packaging or do you do a lot of consultative work with your clients around that? So uh, um, I think the cannabis industry is keeping the legal industry in business. Um, (laughs) I feel like, um, I feel like almost, (laughs) I'm I'm serious. I know it is irony, but I think it's true. Um, Any, any, any decent sized cannabis company has, you know, pretty decent sized legal staff already um, on there. And so it is their responsibility and they usually have a pretty good idea of what's required in a state, particularly from a language perspective. Now, you know, it is my responsibility to make sure that I would never knowingly, you know, design something that's not going to work. Um, and there's some, there's some standards. Most states require child resistant packaging for everything. Some states like Michigan are only requiring child resistant packaging for edibles versus inhalables. Um, mm. I actually applaud that. I think that's I great. Do too. I do think it's cigarettes aren't in I think child resistant in, packaging. Alcohol. No, they're not. not and they're honestly a lot packaging. more dangerous. Yes, no, exactly. Um, and maybe, maybe alcohol should be in child resistant packaging. Um, the, I think it should be an adult-resistant of... packaging most of the time. <laughs> <laughs> but when you think, I'll, I'll use flour is a really good example. When was the last time you saw a child eat an eighth? Um, right? <laughs> and so... Uh, it's hard to get them <laughs> to eat their <laughs> greens. <laughs> right, right. We need to, and if we they need did, if vegetables. they did, it wouldn't be... I mean, it's not bioavailable in terms of a hallucinogen. You know what I mean? It's not going to get them high. It probably is the safest. But but that's my point. I, and I wish there are actually some great things that come from the fact that we're not federally regulated yet. Um, and there are some things that aren't great. And I think that the two, the two things that are not great about it are obviously access to banking, um, mm. which is, you know, one of the larger issues in our industry. Um, and then the other one is to have any true consistency from state to state in terms of what's, um, what's acceptable and what's not. So for example, in some states, you can have a beverage that has hundred milligrams of THC. And in some states, that same beverage bottle can only have 10. Mm-hmm. And in some states, you're required to have child resistant packaging on, um, on everything. And in some states like Michigan, you, you know, you have, um, it only has to be on edibles. So that's, that's, I think, one of the more challenging things in our, our industry as a whole. 
And I, my hope for the industry is that we will do a, a better job of lobbying from the perspective with each other and the states together to help get to the point where we have some standards. So when a Mississippi comes online, like it is right now, thank goodness, and mm-hmm. they're go- moving forward with, med- with, medical, um, with medical legalization, that there is a that we do a better job as a as a team if you will in the industry to go there and say hey i'd like to help you i'd like to help you set some standards that we believe are the right thing to do and this is why it will it will make us better corporate citizens it will also make it a lot easier when hopefully someday we do go federal and that not everybody's all of a sudden scrambling to say oh wow now i got to change this now i got to change this because you know who loses the person who loses is the individual brand Mm-hmm. It's not, mm-hmm. it's not the state, right? The person who loses is the individual brand who has been building their packaging to state specs that all of a sudden has a ton of packaging that they have to throw away. Well, and, um, there've been issues with packaging. I'm remembering something in Oregon and I'm not remembering all the details, but they changed the packaging rules. It was in Oregon or it was in California. It was a number of years ago, kind of during the transition from medical to adult use and everything in the old packaging was obsoleted. So it was all being sold at clearance um, and they didn't have the option because of metric and custody and other reasons, <laughs> reasons. Um, they didn't have the option of taking it back and putting it in new packaging. They just had to obsolete everything that was in the old packaging. And that, that doesn't help anybody. That doesn't, that doesn't, no one is served when, when that's it the just, issue. It just, it just happened in Michigan. Michigan oh decided that you were, Michigan just decided that you were no longer allowed to have any kind of fruit on any edibles packaging. And so, and, and really. You mean like a picture I, of I find fruit? that sometimes those, yep, nothing. No pictures, about- no illustrations, no nothing. Okay, not just like cartoon fruit with faces and hands and feet that could be considered. No, not even not even a picture of an orange. Mm. So you have people who have packaging that is now obsolete and they're having to literally throw away. And um, it's it, there's a lot of there's a lot of things that happen with that. One, that's a cost. Oh, um, yeah. Two, it's actually just just criminal in terms of the waste. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, in terms of all that stuff that they actually have to throw away. And for those who don't realize it, you know, the cannabis industry is a tough industry to be profitable in. And margins are very, very slim on a lot of products for a lot of companies. They do not have a bunch of extra money sitting around to just go redo their packaging. You know, the, I mean, I think that fable of the green rush really, even pre COVID we had that we had before before covid you know we had the farm bill and so all of the hemp processors came online and i think it gave the industry kind of a a bump because you know all of a sudden everybody's doing more business there's more brands coming this, this is good and but even then before the farm bill things were already starting to really contract in the marketplace and now you know now it's something that's on the national news and not blacklist or media bros news like on the national news is the collapsing market and that sort of myth of the green rush is just not it's not there anymore and um and you're right it just it's there's so much 
added, one of the negatives about cannabis is that you have all the concerns of a regular business, employees and quality and processing and, you know, rent and keeping the lights on and supply chain and everything else. And that regulatory burden, lack of access to banking um, and no room on the shelves. That shelf space is tight, tight. How do you how do you walk some of your clients through those different challenges just with this one aspect of it, which is packaging supply? Um, there's a lot of different considerations. Um, one is you talked about supply chain, you talked about shelves. Um, one of the big things that everybody has faced, we've all been in a grocery store, right? We've seen empty shelves. Uh, I have a, one of my best friends grew up in the Ukraine. She moved here when she was 10 and she has told me, she goes, yeah, she goes walking to the grocery store now reminds me of going to the grocery store when I was a little kid in Russia. Oh, yes. <laughs> um, it's not good, which I thought was pretty, which was pretty funny. But, you know, there have been stories that have come out in the last six months of various cannabis companies who got stuck with product that they had made and the packaging wasn't there. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. one of the first things that you always need to be do when you're sitting down with a customer, whether you're looking at doing a brand new brand or you're revising something is what's your timeline? Is this something mm-hmm. that we need to have done in eight weeks? Is this something that I have eight months for? Um, that's going to guide where, um, where we're going to go from a, you know, different substrates. Like you really want to do a tin. That's amazing. You want to do a custom tin? Absolutely. We need to look at six to eight months because custom tins only come from China. It doesn't mean that it's bad. It's just that's the only place they come from. Um, do you have, um, oh, you only have eight weeks? All right. So those are, you know, we have some other options. We can do pouches. We can do some stock products. I mean, there are other other options. Uh, are you looking to be sustainable? Um, are you looking for something that's either recycled or recyclable to help you stand out on shelf? Um, one of the other things uh, to think about is that uh, you talked about the cost of business Um, do you have a target cost of goods? It's one of those things where as our industry becomes more like a CPG, it's, it's good for customers to see like, yeah, you know, I do. And this is kind of where I'm looking at because that will help me. I'm, I want to design something and I want, I want you to be really, really happy with the final product. Hmm. But if, if, if you only have a Budweiser budget and you have champagne taste I'd like to know that you have a Budweiser budget and I want to make, I want to have something that still looks really good and that you feel really happy about just knowing, you know, what parameters we need to work through. And then, you know, we talked about, you talked about competitive shelf space in, um, and especially in markets like California, Oregon, Washington, Colorado, the mature markets, not a, not an Illinois, right. Where it's still really fresh and, and they still have the problem where they don't have enough weed. Um, in the West, we have plenty of weed. And so um, in that case, it's helping you design a package that honors your brand. It's sustainable. It meets your budget and it, and it really stands out on shelf. And there are lots of things. I mean, heck, some of the, you know, um, some of my favorite gummies I discovered because I liked the pouches. I happen to like Smokies and I happen to like Pioneer Squares. And I discovered, I decided I discovered both of those just because I saw their, when they were brand new and the pouches in the store, I was like, Ooh, what are those? You know, you get the bud tender obviously to start talking about it. Um, you know, uh, we talked about this when we did Canadelic. One of my very favorite gummies is wild and their cartons are awesome. 
You gotta love it. And their, their packaging product- is so pretty. When when they first, um, I had the, I, they were my customer back in the day when they first started. They were a, a different company when they first started and were acquired and rebranded as Wild. And I sold them equipment. And when I went in and they said, "Oh, we want to show you some packaging samples we're thinking of going with," when I saw that gummy box, I was like, "Just stop it! I'm here for it." And it's it's one and and also ah, it's so. This is something I want you to speak to because I'll bet you've got words about this. But their packaging is not it is really telling a story. And instead of having their, their formulations are flavor specific. So, you know, when you buy strawberry, you're not buying strawberry because you like the way it tastes. You're buying strawberry because you want 20 to one CBD to THC. When you buy pear, you're buying it because it's their CBN product. And that doesn't change. If you want the 20 to one CBD, it's going to taste like strawberry because peach is something else. Peach is a different formulation. And so their packaging follows. If you look at their website, it's like it's telling you a story through those flavors. And um, it would be so sad if they had to go to Michigan and take those pictures of fruit off the label. I'm just telling you that would be sad. But it's great. So they are. They are going to Michigan and they were forced, they were forced to take the fruit off, which was very Jeez. distressing, I think, for a lot of people. You know, the other thing I wanted to share about them, which I think is pretty cool, is that um, they're a very sustainable company and they're all about sustainable packaging. So all of those paperboard boxes are recyclable and it's all FSC certified, which means it's a, um, it's a, a chain of custody certification um, that means that the the fiber that was used for that was harvested in a sustainable manner. Um, the other thing that I think is noteworthy is that um, that's a small package. It's totally right sized. It's not mm. huge, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, that is that gummy tub and that and that box are as as small as you could possibly get to have mm-hmm. those ten gummies. And that is another thing that I think makes an impact, right? As a consumer, this is a good way to think of sustainability as a consumer. I hate getting an Amazon box. That's three times the size of what I bought. Right. Nobody likes that, right. Getting that. And it's all empty. Um, a lot of times when somebody comes to me and says, I really want to talk about making my packaging sustainable. The very first thing you can do, whether it's new or existing is really figure out how to truly right size it and make Mm -hmm. it as small as it could possibly be. And still, you know, again, honor the brand, really, really promote your brand. That's one of the struggling struggles, I think, in the cannabis industry as a whole, is that when states like a Massachusetts require so much information, right, about what cannabis could supposedly do, you know, Nancy Reagan lives, I think, through some of that stuff that's on the labels, <laughs> is that... Um, Nancy Reagan or Tipper sorry, Gore, that was Tipper, Gore liked, liked, Tipper Gore liked labels back in the day. Uh, oh, did she? I, for, well, I forgot she about labels? her. Didn't she? I know. I tried to, too, but I just reminded us both. Um, she wanted labels on all the albums, remember? And then the albums got Oh, that's smart right. And, the, and, and, the, and, and also video games, right? Yes. That's what you're saying. Label I forgot that about the, I forgot about video games. Yeah, because <laughs> um, can, can you imagine what she thinks about today? Um, <laughs> really not. But, um, but, I, but there are times that... There are times that I end up having to create a box that's definitely bigger than the product inside solely mm. because we have to make it big enough to, accom- to accommodate all the language that's required. What or is the doing with some of the most challenging regulation in that regard? 
Well, there's there, um, Massachusetts and Pennsylvania have an amazing amount of language that's required. Uh, some states actually, uh, California has a special red uh, symbol, like a, it's like a, a weird THC symbol um, that is uh, required on all packaging, which is a, it's a special color of red, which actually adds to the cost of your package because it's like another color. Um, and then Michigan has the same thing. Michigan has a green THC symbol that is required on the package. So again, that increases the cost of your package. Um, I don't, I don't personally think any of that is going to make somebody smoke or not smoke weed. That's just my own personal opinion. Mm -hmm. But um, there are, I think those are, you know, some of the requirements. I'm a little concerned about what's happening in New York. And I know we talked about this on the panel, but there are people who I think have really good intentions and they'll have really good intentions about, well, we should make it so everything's recyclable or we should require that 25 or 50 percent of the packaging has to come from hemp that that might be available in 10 years it's there's not enough supply and all of the hemp for example that is being all of the paper in the united states for packaging that incorporates hemp the majority of that hemp is actually coming from spain it's not even mm. coming from the united states so if you look at your environmental footprint that's not very pretty that it's coming from spain right and it also adds cost 10 years from now, who knows? We may have so much hemp paper, it's not even funny, right? That we could do Wouldn't stuff that, that be way. Great. There's some really, I want hemp and there's clothes. great experiments. I want hemp paper. I want hemp paint. I want hemp varnish. I want hemp glue. I want hemp biofuel. Well, there's going to be, there's going to be hemp. I want all of it. There's going to be hemp plastic. There's some companies doing some really cool thing with hemp and plastic where it's 25% hemp and it's awesome and it looks like it, like it's got the, it's got the fibers in it. I think it looks amazing. One of the guys who showed it to me is like, hey, I'm sorry, but you know, you can, you can see the fibers. And I was like, why would I be sorry? That makes me want to buy it, right? right. I think that that's so cool. But um, that's the hard part. I think you have legislation trying to do the right thing, but they, but they need a little bit more background before just throwing a rule out there that's, that, that you cannot comply with. It's physically impossible to. Well, and the market, and to your point, the market is supposed to drive innovation, not regulation. When regulation tries to drive innovation, it's just another layer of bullshit that people have to jump through. And it's not, you're right, we're going to end up with a bigger carbon footprint trying to follow the regulations that are requiring us to be sustainable. It doesn't make, that doesn't make sense. What makes sense? And then you've and then is, you've got a cannabis company who's trying to give a report to somebody about their their packaging. I mean, that's a, like you said, we are already so regulated. Do we really need another stage? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But but we all say, and it's true, we all look at ourselves at these conferences when we get together and we talk about things and say, wouldn't it be awesome if this was made out of hemp? Wouldn't it be awesome if this pre roll didn't come in a plastic box with a paper insert? and a plastic tube with a paper insert in a cardboard box in a Mylar bag that's child resistant, that frankly, some of those things I cannot open without a pair of scissors. Like that whole thing where it's like the, 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 it's kind of, it's kind of vaginal, vaginal. If you think about it, it's got like, you know, the outer lips and the inner lips and yep. you, you pull yep. one, one way. And it's, one hard. Way. it's hard. It's hard. It doesn't make sense. Yes. To me. I don't know. <laughs> Yes, I do. I, I completely agree. Um, and, and I think 
like I said, I think you should totally have child resistant packaging for edibles. I think you should have yeah. reclosable child resistant packaging for edibles. In the case of flour, I don't care. The bigger thing in the case of flour is you just need to make sure that you've designed something that's going to keep your product fresh because, mm, mm -hmm. you know, that's an issue. Um, and that is going to help also with smell because that, that does happen. And, mm -hmm. you know, I'll be the, I'll be the first one to say I've had a couple of times when I picked up stuff that I was picking up to figure out how to build a package around it. And it's in my car for an hour. And then you get home and you're like, well, my entire car smells like weed. That's right. That's right. That's, that, that might not, that might not be so awesome. No. And you know, uh, yeah. So there's all those considerations and then we're combining those with all, I mean, there's all the real considerations. How do I communicate my brand value proposition? How do I tell my story? How do I present the product in a way that um, you're, you're feeling like I want you to feel when you experience this product? How do I communicate what I want to communicate? How do I keep it fresh? How do I keep it safe? How do I be sustainable? Those are my priorities and add it on. And how do I meet my budget? Like, yeah. Okay. Budget and compliance and timeline and supply chain and all of those things. Tell me about some of the work. If you're talking to a company that's looking at redoing their packaging, what's some of the work that you would want them to do before they even come and talk to you around their branding and what they want before because what if I have a new company and I don't even know what's available I don't know what size or what shape or if I could afford something custom what's some of the work that I could do on the front end so that you and I could be really effective when I call you um one of the things that uh we already talked about was um if possible have some idea of your target cost of goods mm -hmm. because that will really help me know it will help me um, propose the right package for your budget. Mm -hmm. And you can still have amazing packaging that's budgetary, mm -hmm. but that's going to help a lot. Um, understanding your timeline, because that's another thing. Do I have eight weeks or do I have eight months uh, in terms of the packaging? And that, because that's really going to, that's, that's going to guide a lot of decisions, right? It's going to guide a lot of decisions. It will even guide decisions like, okay, so nowadays, unfortunately, it's hard to get paper. It's just like everything else, right? There was an article in the New York Times that I guess people are having a hard time toward the end of last year, even getting paper to send out wedding invitations. So oh it's, yeah, paper is just like every other thing in the supply chain. So it's going to help me guide what paper's available, what, what stock product, do we have time to do a custom? And then, you know, one of the things that as the cannabis industry evolves and they're working with great branding agencies is um, I love a brand story. Um, I love mm -hmm. getting somebody's brand book. That really, mm -hmm. really helps me understand. We have um, seven in-house designers, both structural and graphic design. And it helps us so much when we're coming up with somebody, something, if somebody already has their brand guide done, it's not necessary. I totally get it that sometimes people don't have that. But mm -hmm. if they do, and as our industry is evolving, that's becoming more common, that's, that helps so much because it, it helps us think about what kind of structures do I think is going to fit that? What kind of paper do I think is going to fit that? What kind of print or other treatments or, um, you know, rigid containers? It, just, it can really guide the conversation. Mm -hmm. Tell me about, I'm, I'm looking on your website a little bit and, um, and I like it. 
Tell me about the Innovation Lab and what that is. And it dovetails on, I'm sure that those um, engineers and designers you just mentioned are a part of that. Exactly. So it's something that makes us really different than a lot of other companies. And it's part of the reason I came to work for the company last May is that we do have the Innovation Lab. We have seven graphic and structural uh, designers slash engineers on staff, but it's not just so one of the things that's really cool is they come from a really varied background and honestly, um, uh, varied nationalities. Um, Honduras, Cuba, Puerto Rico, United States. Um, it's, uh, it's truly a melting pot uh, in there, which is kind of awesome when they bring in different food. And, mm-hmm. um, and their experiences are very different too. We have um, folks who have um, experience designing shoes uh, from a structural perspective. We have folks who have design um, perspective of more industrial design, and then certainly, you know, more more standard design. And then the other thing is the capabilities that we have internally to not only design, but to do full production prototypes. So we have the ability to do full printed samples. So if somebody wants to see like a, a folding carton fully printed with their designs, their, um, their logos, et cetera, we can do that in house versus having mm-hmm. to send that out. Um, we also have two 3D printers um, on how in, in on our site, which is great because if you're, a lot of things that we do are designing custom rigid containers, and that could be everything for a custom tincture beverage delivery mechanism, which by the way, beverages are just exploding on the cannabis mm-hmm. um, side mm-hmm. of things. And people are looking for different, you know, deliveries and or beverage enhancers, tinctures, that sort of thing, um, to um, custom pre-roll containers. We, you already mentioned cosmetics and topicals. We're starting to do a lot more in that world and designing custom jars. It saves us so much time to be able to do 3D models and 3D molds of that here versus sending that out to somebody else and waiting three or four weeks. It's something we can turn around in a couple of days. We Tell love hosting the, customers here. Ooh, Go ahead. I love that. No, I was going to, I was going to ask you about the easy lock because I'm looking at that too. On your so website. the easy lock is our, is our proprietary child resistant folding carton. That's another thing that we do full printed prototypes from, um, from here as well. We've talked a lot about child resistant packaging um, for, you know, just as a, as a matter of need, we have become quite an expert in child resistant packaging. So, and that could be on a lot of different factors, form factors. Easy lock is certainly a good example of that. And, um, it's, there are four standard sizes, but we work within those and we do custom all the time. One of the things I really like about it is that it is um, 99.9% recyclable Um, And it involves a very, very small amount of plastic. And that plastic that's involved, the the button mechanism is actually from uh, recycled plastic. So it's a great sustainability story as well. I'm going to describe it because it's really innovative. Um, It's a, like a box within a box and there's a, so you're, you would press a button on the side of the box and the inner box would slide out. So the box with your cartridge in it or whatever would slide out the bottom once you release it with this button. So it's really just like a, a sleeve inside a box cover, but it right. Definitely... So it's, a, it's actually a tray. It's oh, a tray within inside. a sleeve. It's a, it's a tray within a sleeve and it's something that you can actually open one handed. So yeah. you mentioned the fact that there are 
I'll be the first one to say there's, I won't mention it because I happen to like their vape pen, but there's a vape pen that when I do buy it, I have to take it to my husband to get it open for me. And then I cannot put it back in the package it came from or else I'm going back to him to, then he'll know every time I'm getting stoned. So it's like, it's, I mean, I mean, it's, uh, there are, I'll be the first one to say, I hate bad child resistant packaging. So, um, this is something that's very easy to use. It's, um, uh, it's, and, and again, reclosable, you know, child resistant again. So no issues from that perspective. I also like the fact that it's almost hundred percent recyclable, which is a big bonus as well. You know, some companies, uh, and art groups, there was an art group here in Sacramento. I'm in Northern California that called everybody to give them their empty, um, vape cartridges and old vape batteries, all the disposable shit, all the shit. And they made this huge art installation with it. They made jewelry. There were like neck pieces of all of the cartridges beaded together. They did some really innovative stuff, but it was also just drawing attention to, to just the, the carbon footprint of cannabis is unfortunately big. And, um, for a bunch of planet loving hippie minded people, we it's missing. The industry is missing the mark. Um, and we all talk I've, about, it I forgot, Catherine, I forgot to bring up one thing about easy lock, which has to do with uh, sustainability as well. It's oh. 100% manufactured in the United States. It's I all manufactured that. in the, in the, in the Southeast. And, and there are, um, there are things that we have to source from Asia and we don't have a choice. I mentioned tins just because it's really the only place I can get them. And that's fine. There will be things. Um, but as I think COVID did a really good job, not just in our industry and in lots of industries in figuring out what our real environmental footprint is mm. for everything that we buy and use. Mm. And this is an example of something that you can absolutely manufacture and utilize in the United States. How many of your customers call you and say, I want packaging and I want it to be domestic? Like I want, I want things made in the U.S. So that call never happened three years ago. Okay. And I am working on, literally never happened three years ago. You would never, it never was even part of the conversation. And now it's one of the first questions. So if somebody, asked, if I'm working on something new or somebody wants to just reaches out the, the, the two things that they will ask me about are sustainability and supply chain. Mm-hmm. Um, it's mm-hmm. the two things that mean the most to them. And from a supply chain perspective, they will ask you, I, I really want domestic if possible. And they know that it's not always possible, but I am working with a large customer right now on moving all of their child resistant pouches uh, to North America to be manufactured actually in the United States. And it's, it's, a, it's a large volume, right? And we did a full pricing exercise versus China and versus China. If I had left the the business in China, it would have been saving maybe one or two cents a pouch. I mean, that was it Wow. because there's been so many substrate price increases. Freight is insane. I mean, you used to get a container for three grand and now it can be anywhere from 18 to 24 grand. Mm. Um, And then you also, and then you also have tariffs, but on top of that, if you're a customer and you're sitting there and you want to launch your product, but your pouches are stuck off of Long Beach for 12 weeks. What is the cost to you of not being able to have your product in a dispensary? The to me, that's, a, that's almost the biggest cost of all. The opportunity cost and, and the lost opportunity cost. You know, I think that in a contracted market, in a market that is so competitive and so overregulated and so burdened with so many issues that we've we've touched on 
to then have that is just, it's like adding insult to injury a little bit. Um, And so I love, and I love that people are coming to, you know, there's, there's been, um, I've sold equipment that comes from China. I've sold equipment that comes from Germany. I've sold equipment that comes from Japan. I've sold equipment that comes from Italy. I've sold equipment that comes from the U S and over the years, I've seen the conversation change as we become more globally minded it's not so much that people are wanting American made products because of a sense of patriotism where maybe like in the seventies or eighties, it was a big like patriotic movement or something. This is really practical. And a lot of it has to do with carbon footprint and sustainability. Just, I don't want a 3000 mile or 4,000 mile uh, Pacific ocean jaunt to be part of the story of my packaging. You know, I don't, I don't want that to be a part of it. And so um, I love that people are coming back around and I love that we're building manufacturing infrastructure in the U S you know, the idea that we can um, bring back those jobs, which I think a lot of people um, would love a job in manufacturing And um, I know a lot of people who do love their jobs in manufacturing. And so having that option here um, is something that I think is only a benefit. I think so too. I think the other thing is that there, um, you brought up opportunity cost and I, and I mentioned empty grocery shelves. And one of the things is that um, there are, they're realizing, and they've done a lot of research over the last two years, because obviously think about all the things that you could test that you could never test before. And they're finding that when somebody goes to a grocery store to get something, there's, there's pretty much one of three paths. They either um, don't, don't buy it and they're like, okay, I just don't, I, I don't really need it. Um, two is they'll go try something else, right? let's say it's half and half and you have to have half and half. I'm somebody who cannot live without half and half in my coffee. Um, or, or three, um, they'll, they'll leave and they'll come back and hope it's back. You know, they'll give it a couple of days, but the bigger opportunity cost out of all of those is the guy that is the, I think it's 20 or 25% of folks will try something else. Well, what happens if they try something else and they, they're like, Oh, that was just as good. Or wow. I, I like that better. You're, yes. you're not going to get that customer back. Mm-mm, mm-mm. No. And how many of us have those stories? How many of us have those stories of um, this thing that I was really used to, I couldn't get anymore, or this store that I loved forever got closed and this other store opened and now I just go to that other store, you know, absolutely. Um, and, and God bless those businesses, those businesses that are ready and on the shelves and doing it. I'm for them too. You know, I want them to capture that customer and I want them to be able to communicate their story, but you know, you want to have the idea that you start with, um, you know, plan the work and work the plan and everything comes together. But the idea that you would have finished product waiting for packaging is just kind of heartbreaking. It's just kind of heartbreaking. (laughs) For sure. Yeah, I'll bet. And how challenging has that been over the last couple of years dealing with supply chain issues? How much of a challenge is that in your daily life? (laughs) (laughs) uh, No, no, it's okay. You know, what's really funny is I think when it first started to happen, it was not just me, right? It was everybody. Um, It was a little bit of a gut punch. You're like, oh, okay. And then I think everybody thought, well, it's going to be like this for a while, right? It'll be like this for six months. It'll be like this for three months. Um, and then 
I think people finally went, oh, wow, it, it's going to be like this for a while. So I think that it's, it's like a death, right? At first you're like, oh, it's not, you know, you're ignoring it. And then you're like, oh, mm -hmm. I'm, I, you know, I think I'm through it. And then you, and then you eventually become resigned Denial, to the situation. bargaining, anger. <laughs> exactly. Anger. When somebody asks me about it now, um, there's, there's basically kind of two things that uh, there's three things, um, that I say is, um, one is, um, just acknowledge that this is, this is the real thing for a while. I mean, we're hearing until 2023, probably, um, that this, this is here and it's not going away. It's not going to go away anytime soon. Um, I think the other thing is to make sure that you have a lot of communication, whether it be with your supply chain partner, your vendor, your, your supplier, whoever that is, make sure that you have really good, open and honest communication because nobody wants a surprise, right? I think almost any of us can deal with bad news if we just get it up front. I've had people who worked for me who had to call me and tell me that they lost a customer and they said, you're taking this so well. And I was like, we know about it. We know about it. It wasn't a surprise. Now we got to now we got to develop the plan. You know, Are we going to go I've get it always, back? Are we going to replace them with another customer? I've always said, and then um, the last, I'll, dis I'll disappoint you, but I won't surprise you. Like as a, as right. a vendor, and I'd rather you know, disappoint you. I might have to tell you bad news, but I'm not going to sneak it up on you and I'm not going to withhold it. And I'm not going to hide the bad news from you until it's at a crisis point And I have to tell you, I'm going to keep you posted along the way and I might disappoint you, but I won't surprise you. And so as a, um, as a, as a partner, I, I think whether on either side they, that that should be a good part of it. And I think the last thing is almost the most important other than communication. And that's just flexibility. Mm. So if, if I am, if I'm going to market for you and I did a custom jar and we did the custom jar and the only place we could do that is in China, because believe me, that happens. And all of a sudden we figure out because of what's going on with shipping that it's not going to take four weeks for your jar to get here. It's going to take 14 weeks to get here. Then my job is to be coming to you and saying, okay, so here's where we're at. I think we can have your jars and let's say you have to have time to pack them out. And let's say they're going to take 16 weeks to get here. And that means you need like four weeks. So let's say 20 weeks, right? I'm thinking of time for you to fill them and everything. So what's something that I could develop for you right now that's going to fill the void for 20 weeks? Let's mm -hmm, do a custom mm -hmm. pouch. Let's see some other options. Is there something stock that I could figure out that at least gets your product out on shelf? Because like you said, the opportunity cost is huge. So, um, and I have that too, where somebody falls in love with like a certain paper texture for their new packaging. But all of a sudden, and this did just happen to me, where the mill was like, yeah, that's going to be at least 16 weeks. And I was like, wow, I feel like you're telling me you don't want me. Um, <laughs> and so at, the, at, at that point, that was my job to find an alternative. And I found three alternatives. And the, I guess the weird part is because of how everything's been for the last two years, people are more flexible. People are like, okay, well, as long as it's close. <laughs> right? well, and we can't, is it kind of close? A, that's a principle in business. Like don't let perfection be the enemy of completion. Don't, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't have to be perfect. It needs to be acceptable. And then we keep working on constant improvement, but we, you can definitely shoot yourself in the foot looking, waiting for everything to align. Um, and it might not get there. You might need to be working while it's aligning, you know? Absolutely. So that's, that's, I, yeah, I would, yeah. Uh, flexibility, communication, 
and, and acknowledgement. And, and you're never going to have, I, you know, I, I suggest to people to engage in these relationships. If somebody's looking for packaging now and they go to aegpkg.com, uh, fill out your form and they'll hear back from somebody within an hour. At least that's what the website says. So I believe it's true. Um, it's, it's actually very true. I was, uh, I was stuck in very bad traffic this morning and somebody texted me. I was like, somebody said a thing. How far are you? I was like, I'll be there in five minutes. <laughs> Give me five minutes. So, so when somebody reaches out they're they are going to get a sense of who you are and how you're going to be as a partner. Um, right off the bat. And I tell people it's a lot like dating. When you call a vendor, if you don't immediately feel like they're interested in you and your business and what you're doing, if it's all them talking and not them listening, um, expect the rest of your relationship to reflect that dynamic and it won't get better. It doesn't get better than the first date, right? (laughs) Not typically. And so, you know, when we're talking about things like quick transitions. What do I do? Supply chain issues. Is there a substitute? Like I need somebody who's engaged and who's for me. And, um, you, you learn that in the beginning and then you have a vendor who's a partner. And I, one thing I just strongly encourage people is to find partner vendors early on and to not vendor shop around so much. Not that I want you like in a, in an unhealthy relationship with a vendor and afraid to leave. That's not it. But you're, you have more opportunities sometimes going to your current vendor and saying what you're not happy with and wanting adjustments than you do going out and starting a whole new relationship with somebody who is an unknown quantity. I think the other thing, Catherine, and, and this would help me honestly know more about you too, is that one of the things I really try to do, and and I know a lot of people on my team do too, is um, I consider myself a resource in the industry. Mm-hmm. I have a lot of people come to me and go, hey, I've got this. I need to know what kind of equipment I need for this or this. Because there's a lot of stuff I know, but I don't sell. And um, right. I love connecting people in this industry because we are an awesome fraternity um, yes. or sorority or whatever sorority, you want to call it. Sorority, sorority. <laughs> I was in a sorority. My husband's ashamed of that, but that's okay. Um, anyway, <laughs> but um, but I do. I think it's really true, and I love connecting people in our industry. I like helping people find a job when they're you know moving from one company to the other. Um, I I want people to be happy. I want them to find solutions. So there are a lot of times I end up connecting people to other products or other services that isn't, aren't necessarily something that, that I do, but I want to help them find the right solution. Absolutely. And I think, you know, that's the whole, uh, yes, I'm here for that. I mean, I feel like, Hey, Catherine, what kind of equipment, what kind of equipment did you, or do you sell? Um, right now I don't sell any equipment. I actually, um, sell filtration media. I'm a director of sales for carbon chemistry. So I sell for filtration media. Um, but I've sold processing equipment. So not on the cultivation side, but on the extraction side. So I've done that for about 10 years. And before that, I was like you, I was selling that same equipment to pharmaceutical, cosmetic, electronics, aerospace, um, you know, same, same equipment, just different application. Um, but, but for processing equipment, I've got a guy. If you have a, if you have a client that needs help with, uh, anything extraction, formulation, processing, I got a guy for that or a gal. 
Thank you. I guess, thank you. I appreciate that. Cause that's honestly the thing I get so many questions about. Mm. Um, and believe it or not, I have somebody to send your way on filtration paper. Oh, I um, would love that. I'll make sure they're using so your I have beautiful a, packaging. <laughs> uh, thank you. Well, I just, um, I don't ask that. I just figure everything kind of comes around eventually. Right. Um, and you know what, and, we're uh, not at a point, and, and I think we talked about this on our panel, we talked about it on one of the panels, there will come a time when it's Coke versus Pepsi, you know, and brands are going to go head to head, they're already going head to head in the marketplace. But, but we are, we still need to be for each other right now, we still need to be supporting each other, sharing information and be for each other. Because this is baby cannabis. We are, we are this, this industry as beautiful and vibrant and wonderful as it is, is like in kindergarten and we haven't even made it to middle school yet. You know, we're not there yet. And until we get there, it's all about providing resources, being a resource, supporting people. And, um, and I'm with you and you're in my Rolodex and I love it. Thank you. I really hope um, I did. Uh, I have done a lot of work in the alcohol industry, which is another industry that's very similar to cannabis, um, and a lot of a lot of work, particularly in spirits and wine. And I would say that the wine industry is one that's full of a lot of big boys. We know that, um, but is still um, they they very much support each other in many ways. Um, as a mm-hmm. community. And you can see that at things like the Napa Valley wine auction and, and certain things. Um, I'm, I'm hoping that cannabis ends up being when it's grown up, whenever that may be, ends up being more like that versus Coke uh, versus being like Coke versus Pepsi. Mm-hmm. I hope, mm-hmm. I hope that it evolves that way where you still have really good industry acknowledgement support, whereas where there's space for a reserve, if you will, right? Like a high-end, more reserved cannabis product. I think that there will be space for those products. I truly believe that. I do too. I do too. And I, I know that, and I live here in the Emerald Triangle. I see the struggle of small farmers and, um, and they're struggling because they're continuing to engage with an industry that's thankless for them right now. You know what I mean? That's just, but they're continuing to engage because it's just what they do. And knowing that and knowing their um, commitment to this work, um, it will evolve into something where they have a seat at the table because they'll make their own table. You know what I mean? If they don't have a seat at the table, we're just going to have to come up with another table. And I think that there's enough people with enough hustle that will do that. I think the other thing that we didn't really touch on, but we kind of talked about what a high cost the industry is right now, the taxation structure on the state level is, is insane. And I understand, I know that California, there's a lot of people talking about it in California. I don't necessarily see enough being done. It is not a limit. It's not a limitless font of money to be funding (laughs) other things. And is that a nice way to put it? Oh my gosh. That's Um, about the nicest way you can put it, Beth. (laughs) And, and so, um, and thank God, you know, state of Colorado, the voters realize that, right? When they just voted down, having the taxes increased, or they're so high already in the state of Washington. I think that um, when you look, and California is brutal because they're taxing everybody, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The, um, at every level. Is that, 
and it, that's what I mean. They're they're taxing everybody at every level. That has to be addressed because it's. And you're right. That's that's where people who aren't in the business think of. Well, everybody's making a fortune, right? You know, it's this green rush. And you know, if we are going to make this a viable, successful industry, we have to understand that, and we have to understand that it's not limitlessly taxable, and that there are things that you need to do for an industry and to. And it's truly taxation without representation. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because you can't even, I mean, and, and then banking. You can't write any of it off. You right. can't write any of it off either. That's right. Um, you know what, Beth? I can tell, I knew when I met you and when we shared time on the panel that you were a great resource to your customers and I wasn't wrong. I love it when I'm not wrong. Um, Thank you, Catherine. And I, no, I do. I want to um, tell me all the different ways people can engage with you and um, lean in to your offering because um, you've got some really good solutions here for packaging that, you know, hit all the marks. Yes, they're beautiful. Yes, they have the look that you want. Yes, they're going to do it. But also nitty gritty pricing, supply chain, flexibility. You're, you're, you're hitting all the high points. So how can people be in touch? Thanks. Um, so LinkedIn is a great way to find me. Uh, I do find it humorous that Catherine, that that came up during our panel, that LinkedIn has turned out to be the cannabis social media structure. Absolutely. That was pretty funny since we get, since none of us can use Facebook um, or, 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 or even that much of Instagram. That's hysterical, isn't it? So um, I guess way to go, way to go Microsoft. Um, so LinkedIn is a great way to find me. Elizabeth, Elizabeth Corbett, also known as Cannabeth. My email is E-C-O-R-B as in boy, E-T-T at A-E-G-P-K-G dot com. And as Catherine said, we're very responsive. Uh, you can look up our website, which is consistently evolving and trying to be better all the time. And um, and then if you also reach out to me, um, I'll make sure that you get on to, uh, we do a newsletter a couple of times a month. And it's truly not spam. We try to really focus on things that are going on in the industry that we think that you would like to know about. I love it. I love it. Uh, Elizabeth Corbett from AE Global, and that's aegpkg.com. Check her out for all your packaging and supply needs. Thanks for being here. I really enjoyed it. Thank you, Catherine. Well, my dear, that's how we do it. Was it okay? Yes, it was better than okay. Hi, everyone. It's Kat here. I recently had such a great customer service experience. I had to share it with you. I was getting ready to attend the Extraction Expo with my podcast, and I literally had nothing. No business cards, table drape, no pop-up really nothing. Truthfully, I only had a very modest logo that my wonderful husband made for the show. It was great, but it didn't fit right on Instagram and I just really didn't know how to work with it. I remembered being in Oklahoma City with Propane Jane during the first hash fight and she had all of this cool swag. I asked her who she used and she sent me to label my bud. I reached out to Ryan on September 13th. You guys... By September 25th, my table drape, pop-up banner, stickers two ways, and fantastic t-shirts in an assortment of sizes and colors were all shipped. 
And all of this was with my new fantastic logo that took the theme that my loving husband had designed and made something that I could really work with on various platforms. 12 days shipped. The best part is the whole package was under my very modest budget. I've worn a lot of logos to a lot of shows, and it was so much fun to wear my own. This is the first time that I was in my own branded booth. The level of engagement I had with people on the show floor was so much higher. My booth at a glance was completely understandable, and everyone knew what I was up to. I completely took that level of branding and polish for granted at the last couple of shows I went to. I thought if I was smiling behind a mic, it would just make sense to people. This was so much better. I'm absolutely a customer of Label My Bud for life. Ryan and his team of artists and production professionals took such good care of me and Jane. I know they will you too. Reach out to Label My Bud on Instagram or check out labelmybud.com. See why brands like Hashfight, Straight Organics, Buddy's Brand, and Native Made trust Label My Bud. For that matter, brands like Chat with Sidco Cat. Here's how much I appreciate Label My Bud. This isn't a paid advertisement. It's just me telling you that I got excellent service, and I think you will too. If you need slaps, t-shirts, booth decor, socks, lighters, packaging, and more, do yourself a favor and start with Label My Bud. You'll get all of the service with none of the green tax. Tell them Kat sent you.